and a quick wardrobe change, and here I am. <laughs> oh, well, thanks for being here. I, I, wanted, I do want to invite you to Resolving Everyday Conflict. It's a, uh, it's a seminar that I got involved with because of, of the power of God's word in the midst of conflict that I experienced. Uh, as I experienced it, I realized I, I really want this to be the standard of engagement and conflict, not just for me, but also for the people that I get to serve with and that I get to walk with as we all deal with conflict. Isn't it good to know that there is a God who recognizes <laughs> we need his word and we need some guidance in the midst of conflict? I'm not saying I bat a thousand on this one. I don't. Uh, every time that, that I do this seminar, that I'm a part of this seminar, I'm encouraged, I'm challenged, and uh, I'm surprised at how I've veered off at times from following God's standard in the midst of conflict. So it's an excellent thing. Today is the last day. It's $25 a person. I really hope you can join me next Saturday for that. I, th I think it's going to be worth your time, and I'm not, I'm not just saying that because uh, I'm leading it. I'm saying it because I've, I've experienced it and been challenged by it. Friends, we're in Mark chapter 1. And as you're turning there, I want to pray, and we're going to jump into the Word of God today. Lord, we love you, and we thank you and praise you that indeed you are good. And Lord, today, as we come before you, and we deal with uh, four situations. In three situations, Almighty God, you encounter people. Simon Peter's mother-in-law, Lord, and you meet her, and you touch her, in a way that is life-giving and affirming and holy and honorable and good. And Lord, you, you, you meet up with some people who are sick and who are demon-possessed, and you minister to them where they're at, and you call them out of what they're doing and into your plan. And Lord, you also minister to someone who's struggling with leprosy who is an outcast, and you minister to them, and you touch them, and you heal them. And so, Lord, today, even as we go through this passage, I would ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand that there may be one of these that we especially engage with and, and see a little bit of our story in them. But then there's this fourth scenario, Lord, and that's where you model what it's like to go before the Father, to spend time in desolate places, ministering and being ministered to. And we are so thankful, Lord, for your example. And we see it, and today in faith we want to respond to it. So, Lord, be exalted and be lifted up, for it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen. Well, the weather's starting to change. You've probably recognized that, which, of course, means it's political ads time. So, so that's happening. And uh, one of the things that surprises me about that is the visceral response that I have in my own heart whenever I see it. And honestly and sincerely, uh, it doesn't seem to matter which side of the aisle that these ads are coming at me. I, I admittedly have a little bit of a cynical spirit, and it could be that I've heard these same things with different faces. Uh, it could be that 
okay, we're promising the world and we're not getting anything. All of those things are true, but I want to suggest another reality in it. And perhaps this is true for you as someone who loves the Lord and wants to uh, walk with him and in his kingdom. That there is something about the believer that is dynamically different than the world and the world system. The world system that encourages and enables this lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And we see that even in the political engagement with advertisement. Verse, how God seems to show his example in his son Jesus Christ. Dynamically different than the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. A sacrificial giving of of service uh, that we see in Christ that stands in contrast to the world. And so when we see this, uh, there's something repelling in us about it at times. And perhaps you're experiencing that too. This series, uh, Remarkable, is based on this fact that Jesus came with the kingdom of God and is presenting it to people to respond in faith to. As he engages with them, they are stuck in a position of, what will I do? How will I respond? Many reject. Uh, many, many walk away. Some walk away and come back later, but the, the, the point is that Jesus is offering something that is not available to them in and of their own ability. And you're going to see that played out in three specific ways as people interact with Jesus. And then you're going to see Jesus model something that we need to hold close to us and true in our lives. If you're not there, we're in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 is where we're going to begin. And just walk through this passage together. I want to note a few things as we go and... um, and I hope that uh, just as, as you're walking through it, you'll see maybe some connections in your own life. As we go there, there are some things that you should have an eye for, that Jesus is going to do. Uh, you're going to see how he brings the kingdom of God with him. Now, when I say kingdom of God, sometimes in the West, it, it's a little blurry. Like, what does he mean by kingdom of God? We don't have kings here, so what is he talking about? Uh, so let's use some different phrases. Some different phrases that mean the same thing. Reign and rule of God is what we're talking about. The reign and rule of God is the kingdom of God. God's reign and rule in our lives in his followers. Not just that, but Jesus is going to reach the least of these. You would think that as a kingdom is being built, that you might want to build it on the most powerful, on the people who have the most ability or resources, But Jesus seems to go down the line of the least of these, people who are overlooked, uh, people who would be wallflowers, or in some cases, completely rejected. And we'll see that as we walk through this passage together. Also, it's important for us to note that Jesus remains connected to the kingdom through prayer to the Father. If anyone in the whole world ever could have walked in their own strength, it certainly would have been Jesus. But Jesus models something for us that is life-giving and is also a model for us as we engage with God and the world around us in living in the rule and reign of God. So with that, let's go ahead and jump in to Mark chapter 1, 
uh, verse 29 is where we'll start. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew. Note, this is Simon and Andrew's home, with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. A couple of things here that uh, is very important for us to note. Uh, The first thing is this, that in the context of the first century and in this passage, and and again, I recognize that I'm projecting a little bit into this passage, so we always have to be careful with that. But there, there are some common practices that maybe are implied that we want to be aware of. This could be one of those common practices. The fact that Simon Peter's mother-in-law is in the house with him most likely indicates that her husband has passed away and she is now in the care of her son-in-law and his home. Most likely, that is the case. It's also very common that they would bring their mother-in-law into the home. So that is a a very common practice in his day. The mother-in-law would come and live with him. So, So there's that. So you're aware. My mind just was like, there, was a, there were a billion thoughts that exploded in my head just then. And it was like, no, don't say that. Nope. Uh, nope, don't do that. Okay, let's stay, on, let's stay on, on task here. Throughout this passage, you're going to notice some phrases, things like sick and ill, for example. I would like you to underline that. The word ill here is a significant word. It's, a, it's a, rather a specific word. The specific word that is used here identifies that she, indeed, is sick with a fever. Uh, It it almost has the flavor of being on fire, uh, this specific word. So we know that she's not in a good place. Her body is fighting off something, and she is not in a good place physically. But it's a very specific word, and that'll become important here in just a little bit. And immediately... They told him, Jesus, about her. So if if it's true that we're implying some things here correctly, and it does seem that this passage is leaning in towards this, that her husband isn't there, we also have to recognize that this specific culture would have have, um, been really clear about the line between men and women. Even in their places of worship, they didn't come together. They didn't intermingle, even if they were related. There were separate sides, men on one side, women on the other. This, this was common, and it was practiced. It was practiced in public, but even within the home, there was, uh, uh, it was common that the, the, the men in the house didn't connect too closely with the, female, uh, the females in the home. There was interaction But it was very, very separated. Why do I say that? Well, uh, I say that because this woman is in a tough spot. I'm going to pause this story to share another story. About 20 years ago at church, there was, uh, in the back of our church, there were two rows. Those two rows were where the widows Uh, of the church sat. They just had fellowship together. They liked one another. They liked to sit in the back. It was easy for them to come in. It was easy for them to leave. Uh, It was a good place for them. And so one week, I went to the back, 
And Shirley, who had been a widow for many, many years, was sitting back there. And I simply put my hand on her shoulder and said something along the lines of, it's good to see you. Now, here's what surprised me. Shirley nearly fell into my hand, leaning really deeply into it. I, th I thought she was falling initially. Later, she came up to me after the service and uh, with kind of blushing, she said, I'm so sorry, but it has been so long since anyone touched my shoulder that it really was, I appreciated it, so thank you. What's my point? M my point is that here is this woman who has been widowed, who hasn't, who hasn't been appropriately touched beyond maybe putting money in her hands in some time, and just this common touch helped her to feel loved and connected in a significant way that oftentimes we overlook in our day-to-day -day routines. Unless it's not been present in our lives, we, we wouldn't even recognize it. And I would suggest, based on some of the words that's used in this passage, that that may be true here as well. So let's see how Jesus responds. He's told about Peter's mother-in-law, and he has a response to it. And this is what happens. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Well, that's interesting. Why is it interesting? Well, for, for many reasons, but let, let me suggest something that will come back up again a little bit later. You may have read in your history classes about a thing called COVID. Have you heard of this? Uh, why do I bring up COVID? Well, I bring up COVID because we were very specific. We wore masks and we had, uh, you know, these uh, uh, antibacterial wipes that we wiped everything down with. And we did that very specifically because we didn't want to spread the germs. Jesus doesn't seem too concerned about it, which was also against the culture. Now, here's what he does. Or, I'm sorry, here's the culture. No, if someone's sick, you, you stay away from them. You give them space. You don't touch them because if you do, what might happen? You get sick, right? Jesus doesn't seem to work that way. He touches her. And what do we notice? That this, this holy, good God, as he touches her, he doesn't get sick, but she gets whole. She gets healthy. That's, that's how it works in the kingdom. In the kingdom of the world, <laughs> sickness spreads. In the kingdom of God, holiness spreads. And, and you watch this uh, throughout these passages as we share. So, so what do we see? In Peter's house, uh, we see a woman who is sick. She's ill. I use this word. She's got a fever. And this fever is burning her up. She, she can't do anything. She's a, when people are coming into the house, the expectation is that someone cares for them. They're very hospitable. And she's sick. She's like hiding from everybody. And nobody really wants her out there. But Jesus goes to her. And what does he do? He engages. He touches her. To this outcast, the social outcast, he touches. This woman who doesn't have a, a husband who doesn't have a livelihood, who has to depend perhaps on her son-in-law and, and his kindness. She's touched by the Messiah. And as she's touched, God's holiness is extended to her. 
in a very real way. And what do we see? What's her response? She serves. Now, I want to suggest uh, some things, perhaps. Uh, It's very practical, but I want to suggest that uh, perhaps you're familiar with five love languages. Uh, One of them is touch. And we know that when when a love language is uh, not available to us, that sometimes we hunger for it a little bit, even if it's, it's not our main love language. Perhaps that's the situation with her, maybe. But we do see her response to Jesus, and that's to serve. She, she gets up and cares for them. Not, not just Jesus, but, but everybody there. Uh, she doesn't hold back. She doesn't wait, but she serves him. She has a fever. She's sick. By the way, where does sickness come from? Well, well, it it enters into the world, right, at the fall. And this world system is transformed for the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, and sickness and disease comes in. This woman is affected by a sickness. Jesus touches her. She's healed, and she serves. It's a beautiful picture of God's work in the life of one of his people And it may be a story that you need to be reminded of even today. Let's keep going. Because it doesn't stop there. Like, wouldn't it be great, uh, and maybe you've been in this place where you just go from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, but that first thing was worth celebrating, and wouldn't it have been great to just stay in that one place? But it doesn't always work that way. Well, guess what? There's nothing new under the sun, and that's true for Jesus as well. Uh, In uh, following this up, says this, that evening at sundown, super important, by the way. We might just read over that, but, but this is the Sabbath. It's Saturday night. On the Sabbath, they're not supposed to heal unless someone's life is on the line. Okay, if someone's going to die, then yeah, I guess you can heal. Uh, but that was the only way they were supposed to break healing on the Sabbath. But what happens is that people are hearing about Jesus and they're responding to him. And what we're going to see is, okay, it's sundown. Let's go find this guy who heals. They brought to him, to Jesus, all who were sick or oppressed by demons. Go ahead and underline the word sick there. It's an important word. It's most often used. It's most often used in this case. Uh, to refer to people who have been demon-possessed, but not exclusively. It's used to just mean they were sick. But it's used another way as well, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment. I wanna, uh, let's, let's let this flesh out a little bit more. Uh, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick. Isn't it interesting that he healed many, not all, but many, uh, with various diseases and cast out many demons? Another interesting piece. Many, not all, many. Uh, Why would that be? I want to suggest it may be connected to the word sick here. As I said, this word sick is used oftentimes in relationship to demon-possessed. Demon possession, if we want to go back to last week, we talked a little bit more about the full spectrum of demon possession. We called it demonization. That was demonic, or I'm sorry, demonic depression 
oppression and possession. It's demonization. It's, it's a wide spectrum of meaning. And in this demon, uh, demonization, rather, we talked a little bit about how these demons have influence in our lives, how it goes from uh, maybe just lies that have been spoken to purposeful things around you just aren't, aren't really working, and, uh, and it's influencing our lives to possession, which is complete influence over our lives, right? So uh, this influence matters. Here's why it matters, because of the word sick. Why didn't Jesus heal all of them? Well, in James chapter 4, this word sick is used. There's another word that's used in chapter 5 where those who are sick are supposed to go for healing, but it's different than this word. In this word, this word is used in chapter 4, and it means to ask wrongly. So the motive, the intention is wrong. Like it may be even a good thing to do, but the intention is wrong. It's skewed. It's messed up. Something is not right with it. And, and that could be the emphasis in this specific passage with why some weren't healed and some were. Why some, the demons were cast out and others weren't. Again, we're implying a little bit, but we have the text in front of us and the full counsel of God may suggest just this exact thing. So the fact that some were sick and they showed up, it matters. And Jesus heals many of them. But then there's this statement at the end of verse 34 that's peculiar. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. I don't know. I mean, this world system says any PR is good PR, right? Like, uh, anything is better than nothing. Don't you want people and... Maybe even there's more authority in someone who's demon-possessed where a demon is speaking and saying, yes, that is the Son of God. Like That kind of sounds like maybe that's good PR, but Jesus doesn't allow it. And he doesn't allow it here, and he doesn't allow it in the next section that we're going to talk about. And I want to suggest why. It's the motives. It's asking wrongly. What do I mean? Hold your place where we're at in Mark, but turn back to the earlier part of chapter 1. It's not going to show up on the screen, but I want to share it with you in verse 14 and 15. It says this, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. It's here. It's accomplished. And the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is Jesus' message. In just a few moments, we're going to find out that he's sticking with that message. That if anything, he's doubling down on that message. What am I saying? I'm saying that the healing, that's periphery stuff. His primary point is that there is good news. And for you to know the good news, you need to know the bad news. The bad news is we're all sinners and we can't save ourselves. And that God came in the flesh, that God came in the flesh and was willing to give his life that we could have life. That this kingdom of the world has infected and diseased all of us. And yet this kingdom of God is willing to reach out and make us holy in Christ. This good news that we have offered to us, Jesus is bringing with him in deeds but also in words 
and he wants people to know that. And his mission is proclaiming that truth and it's being realized peripherally uh, through these healings. But the healings aren't the point. You could imagine, hmm, I'm not feeling well. Maybe if I just, hey, Jesus, could you heal me? Well, well, yeah, I, I could, but you're sick and you're asking wrongly. Jesus, I, I mean, I don't know, I, I just kind of want to, kind of want life to be easier. Could you, could you just do that for me? I, I could. But, but the intention here, the influence that you have is, is wrong. And maybe, not every time, but maybe that's part of the reason that we're, we're not seeing God at work. And maybe that's not what is supposed to be being proclaimed even by believers. And we want to be careful. I hear it all the time. Why do you go to the church you go to? I'm not picking on friendship. I'm just saying, in general, I hear these kind of things. And they're, they're varied. And people will say this, like, I, I go to my church because I love the worship there. Like, I just, I really love the worship. You should meet our worship leader. He's amazing. Uh, love him. And all of their teams are so good. And I hear that. And sometimes I hear things like, I can just be me in church. I love that I can just be me and I don't feel judged at church and, and, and I love that. And other people say things like, they have gourmet coffee and I'm a coffee snob and if I'm going to go to church, I'm going to go to one with good coffee. And so they're, they're varied, right, of reasons. And I want to tell you that all of those reasons are really bad ones and, and they're periphery. And, and I hope that we are a people who say things like, uh, I go to church because I meet God there. And I love God. And, and I love that other people are on mission with me. And God is transforming me. But I'll tell you what, he's transforming me as I keep my eyes fixed on him and follow him. And when I, when I vary, I repent and I come back to him. And I love him and I hunger, I hunger for the holiness that he offers. And I long for him to touch me. And he touches me in these places. And, and, I, and I just love that God meets me at church. And I, I love that God. Like that, that's a better answer. Here, in this passage, the answer is healing. Yeah, Jesus, he heals. We need to be careful of that. It's a periphery reason. It's not the primary. Let's continue on. I'm going to skip down uh, past verse 35 to 39. We're going to come back to that in a, mount, in a moment. But I want to go to verse 40, where we see the third encounter here. By the way, uh, I'll just say this, that Jesus... Uh, gives them a command. A command, and their response is to obey. And here's this final one. Um, as we get to the story of the leper, uh, I, I want to say again that this is a time where sickness is, it's very contagious. In the Levitical law, in Leviticus chapter uh, 13, verse uh, 45 and 46, there is a command. And so throughout the chapter, what has happened is they're identifying what the priests need to do to confirm that it is leprosy. Things will happen. 
leprosy is basic that their body is rotting, right? Like it, and it's really contagious. Other people can get it. It is a, it is a very bad situation. It's a very painful thing. Uh, their skin, their flesh could bubble up. It could fall off. Uh, digits can fall off. It can become very complicated to walk. I mean, it, it's, it's awful. Leprosy is awful. And Leviticus 13 gives the priests some uh, room to identify it, what happens, but what they need to do. But it also tells the person who has leprosy what to do. So if you have leprosy and it's not healed, then what? Well, in Leviticus 13, we, we see what. They're supposed to dress a certain way. They, they actually are supposed to allow their hair to kind of hang down uh, so that people can notice something is a little different. And it's not pulled back. It's not out of their face. It's, it's hanging down. Also, their clothing looks a certain way, and that's identified. But then there's this third piece of uh, being a leper. And that's that as they walk into a public place, because they have to get food, right? I mean, they, they need food. How does that work? Because they're in the outskirts of town in these colonies. So, so what are they supposed to do? Well, this is what they're supposed to do. As they come in, they're supposed to announce, unclean, unclean. Now, I want you to pause and consider that. God's word is good and there are reasons. Also, I want you to think about having to be that person where the literal sin and decay of the, the fallen world has affected and infected that person so severely that all people who are fallen would, ha would have to reject them. So much so that when you walk into the room, you say, unclean, unclean, and people move they get out of your way. They don't want anything to do with you. That's a harsh place to be. But it's the place that this leper found, finds himself. As his body is rotting, as he's feeling the full effects of a fallen world, he goes to the one place that is going to give him relief. Watch this. And a leper came to him, imploring. He's begging. That's what this word means. This is like, he is begging. And kneeling, don't overlook that word. As I said, presumably, this leper is dealing with uh, some complications physically. And he's even willing to get down on his knees, which presumably would have been very difficult. Getting down on his knees, humbly, before the Lord, who's not leaving. Don't miss it. He's there. He's not leaving. And he says this, if you will, you can make me clean. Look at the God of the universe in the flesh. Watch his response. It's not, ugh, gross. It's not, Get behind me. It's not that. Moved with pity, the God of the universe in the flesh. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. 
Yeah, the, the worst, the person who's infected the worst by this fallen world is a leper. A social outcast. Like, it's not just physical. It is physical, but it's not just physical. And nobody wants anything to do with him. And he goes to Jesus, and he makes a request. So he literally goes to Jesus. He literally makes a request. How many times do you think he's rejected in the past? I need more board here. Did you see that? How many times do you think he's rejected in the past? Every time he was around people. He makes a request. Moved with pity. This God in the flesh reaches out his hand and touches him. Why? Because the kingdom of God is not like the kingdom of man where disease spreads. In the kingdom of God, holiness spreads. And when touched by God in the flesh, it's imputed onto him. What a beautiful picture of what God does in the life of the believer who is rotting away because of sin and death, who has been affected and infected because of the system, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, who is ministered to by God himself, who reaches down through the going to and the request and the invitation to be received and cleanses. Look what happens. And immediately, the leprosy left him. And he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. Look at what Jesus tells him, though. And said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof of them. Let let me pause there. Here's what Jesus is saying. You be faithful. Do what you're supposed to do. Stay faithful. Why? Because this message that Jesus heals, people are easily going to want to turn that in to like rub the genie lamp. This is what I want from you, God. Would you do this for me? Instead of God has shown up, just be faithful with that. In being faithful, you're going to see the work of God revealed in front of you. (laughs) I like his response, though. He's overwhelmed. But he went out and began to talk freely about it. And to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. There's, There's a phrase we're going to come back to in just a moment. And people were coming to him from every quarter. He's overwhelmed. He's thankful. You know, it's, it's a natural response. You see, it, you see it with this first woman. Uh, her response is to serve. I don't know if that's her default love language. I only know that it is a love language, and it's obvious that she does it. Uh, what's, what's his response? He uses his words to tell people. Again, I don't know if that's his love language, but I know that it is a love language, and he uses it, and he's proclaiming, uh, he's proclaiming the truth, so much so that people follow. But there is another incident that we can't overlook, one that we've skipped over so that we could see these in comparison, and that's to Jesus. Two 
God incarnate, the one, the one who came in the flesh, the God who came in the flesh, who was willing to live a perfect life, who presumably, I mean, he's God in the flesh. What does he really need? But he does these things as a model for his people to see and to understand. You're going to see uh, four verbs kind of jump out at us in this passage that I, I want us to not miss. And here it is. And rising very early in the morning. So rising is the first one. Go ahead and underline it. While it was still dark, he departed, underline departed, and went out, underline went, to a desolate place, and there he prayed, underline prayed. It's pretty interesting to me, because if you would consider what has happened since the sun went down, (laughs) Jesus has healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Jesus has had the entire city, according to the passage, uh, could be hyperbole, but a a lot of people uh, are at Simon Peter's house. They want to be healed, and Jesus has to navigate that. A leopard shows up, and Jesus navigates that. From sundown till when, we're not sure, but early, before before the sun rises, Jesus gets up. And he doesn't do one of these numbers. Okay, got to get up. Could have used the rest, but whatever. No. It's important for him to have the time with the Father, to be plugged in, to get, uh, to make sure that his heart is calibrated and to be a model for us. Like, we, we have to make sure our heart is calibrated. How do we do that? We seek God. Now, watch how he does it in this setting. So, uh, he departs from everybody else, he goes out and specifically, specifically to a desolate place. Nothing's going on. Nothing's happening. It's desolate. Why does that matter? Well, because of what I just said. Nothing is going on. He can focus. He doesn't have the distraction of the things around him. And Jesus gets up purposefully, and he goes out to a place where he won't be distracted. There is a time and place for us to uh, read scripture uh, at a coffee shop. But you're going to be distracted. There's a time and place for us to do it in our home. Kids are running around, spouses there, whatever. You're going to be distracted. But there's also a time for us to get away. Uh, for, For us to plug into God in a way that is very specific and intentional. And it may come at a sacrifice. Sleep can be one of those sacrifices. But purposefully, it needs to happen. And there, he prayed. Ah, He's God in the flesh. Why does he need to pray? Because we need to pray. Because intentionally connecting with the Father matters. Prayer matters. You know, it's an amazing thing that as I begin to talk to, and I'm taking this away from prayer, as I talk to my children about what's going on in their life, though I may be very aware of what's happening in their life, my heart starts to really connect with them. It's tenderized to them in ways. As as Cindy and I are talking about life and situations, and as I'm engaged talking to her, my, my heart starts to become tender for her. What am I saying? I'm saying that there is something about spending time in prayer 
that we kind of see in other relationships that is also true in prayer, and that's that our heart starts to align even more with God. And Jesus modeled that and showed us. And so the worship team is going to come out here in just a moment, and as they're coming out and we're preparing our hearts for communion, I want us to not miss some things. Jesus' intention is to preach the gospel. As he's preaching the gospel, guess what? There's a situation with Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And guess what he does? He deals with the situation, and the kingdom of God is extended. Well, as he's going to preach, he's in Simon Peter's house, and people just start coming. And what happens? Uh, He's intentional to share the uh, the kingdom of God with them. And then what happens? A leper comes to him, and what, what's he do? He, he's intentional where he's at. His goal is to proclaim this kingdom, repent and believe. And in the midst of it, he has real opportunity to show it and to speak it. So with that in mind, and as we prepare for communion, I want to talk to you about a couple of things. Might be calibrating matters in our own life. The first one is this. When is your time of intentional prayer? And during that time, do you have a sense of clarity of kingdom purpose afterwards? In other words, is our time before the Lord just a a litany of things that we want, stuff that we think we need? Or is our time with the Lord calibrating in such a way that we go, yes, I am on mission with the Lord. I am following him. I am being obedient to him. Secondly, who does God want to reach through you? For Simon Peter, it, it was his mother-in-law. Jesus, let me show you. Also, for the community, for Simon Peter's community, it, here's, here's a place to meet Jesus. And then also for this leper, there's an opportunity. Who does God want to reach through you? I would suggest that whoever's name just came into your head, that's who it is. That maybe God wants to meet them. And let me tell you, the message is repentance and the kingdom, the gospel. We're sinners and need a savior. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And as as we repent from our sins and turn towards him, call on his name, we're saved. That there's a transference sin and death, to life that's extended to us. And God may just want to use you for that. As you're considering that and preparing your heart for communion, let me share just a couple of things. One, in communion here, we encourage people to go to the carpeted areas and then to a station that's nearest them to get both the bread and the cup and return to their seat. Today, we'll participate together. But please take this time to ask those questions. And to respond to those questions. And as you have the freedom in the Lord to respond, uh, go ahead and go to the station nearest you, and I'll lead us in just a few moments. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you that indeed you are good all the time. And as we come together before you and participate in communion, we ask, O Lord, that By the power of your spirit, you would check our hearts. That it's not personal shame that we want to respond to. It's not um, 
It's not my words, but Lord, what are, what are you telling us? And we want to respond to that. So Lord, we ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand as we ask you to search our hearts. Help us to repent as needed and to follow you as needed for your glory. In Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen.